the nation's coolest, Cool 97FM. And we say welcome to another edition of Live Tuesdays. And it's going to be another one of those memorable shows between 7 and 9 a.m. We're going to be celebrating music and hearing stories of uh, how it all came into being from a veteran as well as emerging artists. And uh, we're asking that you stay with us because it's just going to be total, total fun. Now, we're used to the artist up front, the singer, the DJ, but what goes into the music itself is what we're going to find out. The melody that drives those iconic sounds. This morning, we're highlighting one contributor who has definitely stamped not just a footprint but a boot print on the Jamaican music industry yeah, a big boot print yes big boot print but that's a big or huge <laughs> <laughs> to put it more politely huge yes within his enduring and innovative offerings in sound a career that has spanned over four decades this guest this morning has worked extensively in studio and on stage you'll glimpse him a quiet storm and uh, he's worked with the who's who of Jamaican music. We're talking about from what Rocksteady or before that, from Rocksteady to dance hall to reggae to to lovers rock to <laughs> instrumental to oh goodness <laughs> everything since Rocksteady. <laughs> yes, yeah. Let's just put it out. Everything since everything Rocksteady. Rock and listen, it's not just a, a small frag, Quashi. He has played with alongside international artists respected called for uh, requested by international acts to support them on their works this man is none other than Robert Robbie Lynn keyboard player arranger songwriter composer producer wow humble man Friend of cool? <laughs> no, family of cool. Yes. Family of cool. Mm-hmm. Giant among men. Yeah, yeah. Been here many times. Has worked as a member of iconic in-studio and live bands, touring extensively, including with, let me just drop some names now, Third World, mm-hmm. Peter Tosh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you know, this is definitely um, a, um, a, quite a coup for us to get him. But we thank him for making the time for this side of his family cool 97 could just hear his voice and then we just go to the songs yeah good morning my brother good morning <laughs> Mike and Diana and Yashika and your producer yes, yes Yashika, Yashika the newest kid on the block she's so just for colorful this morning you see I'm telling you a pleasure Good. Greetings and welcome. We're going to be featuring your music uh, again because we started from 5 o'clock this morning. Such is the vastness of this man's repertoire. Mm-hmm. From 5 o'clock this morning we've been playing your music, but now we get a chance to actually fill in some blanks with uh, with talk. And we'll be doing that in a short while. Mikey is just uh, rearing to go. <laughs> yes, so you know what? Here we go with the first song inside of Live Tuesdays. Our sponsors are going to be just as happy.
All right, we can't take our jaws up off the ground right now. I don't know how we're going to get through this one, you know. I really don't know. Hmm? Our guest this morning, let's just say since 5 o'clock, because that's when we started playing his music. Robert Robbie Lynn, keyboard player, arranger, songwriter, composer, and producer with over 50 years in the business, has worked as a member of iconic in-studio and live bands, touring extensively, as I told you, with The Third World, and would also become a member of reggae icon Peter Tosh's word, sound, and power-backing band, participating in the iconic and historic One Love Peace concert. He has his own album, 2007. He put out Making Notes, and it would see him focusing on his own music, winning the Recording Industry Association of Jamaica's Reggae Award for Instrumental Album of the Year. Undoubtedly, Robbie Lynn has contributed to the growth of Jamaica's music industry, musician, arranger, mentor of talent, and uh, believe you me, it is just an absolute honor for us to get to speak with him again inside of Live Tuesdays. Hold on to your hats. You're going to look this interview. So, we've been listening to the music, uh, the contribution this morning of Robert Robbie Lynn. We're not done yet. And uh, he joins us now on the phone because, you know, we're required to do that uh, at this juncture. But uh, we need to find out, and yes, people are going to ask the questions you want answered. So, for all of us who could not bear playing the piano, how did you get started in music, and how old were you, and were you forced to pursue music? Well, um, as mid-teens, I guess, when I started to take the music, you know, on a level of seriousness. Um, my mom was a professional piano player. She had played um, cocktail piano and, and, and um, what do you call it, combos, bands, mostly um, on the North Coast. Um, she had played in Mr. Hedley Jones' band, former president of the Jamaica Federation of Musicians. And she had also played um, in Lenny Hibbert's combo, you know, going way back into the, the 60s after retirement in, I guess, the 80s. Um, so there's a piano at home. You know, I never really paid it much mind at first because I, I think most homes would have had a piano of some sort, you know. And um, But what happened is that I was growing up among a set of young people in my community in the Mullins Road area. Um, they were also musically inclined, you know, and one was already established as a as a professional music musician. That would be Phil Callender who was the drummer for Studio One and um, Sound Dimension. He had played on many hits before before um, you know, I, we, we got involved with music. But in any case, you know, we were all part of a youth club movement and, you know, we started to, you know, hit heads together, so to speak, with instruments. Everybody was playing the guitar. It was portable, you know, you could just walk around with it. And um, so you had about three, four other guys who, you know, either enjoyed it or were aspiring to be musicians themselves. And, you know, Phil, although he was a drummer, you know, he also played the guitar. That's one of his loves. And um, so occasionally they would come to my home because the piano was there. You know, I really wanted to be playing the guitar, you know, to be honest. You know, but, um, you know, the piano was there and I had a kind of idea, you know, of how to 
you know, get certain sounds out of it. So we'd meet up from time to time. And it mushroomed from there. You know, we started to take it a little bit more seriously. And um, we eventually started a little small group at the, you know, what was then called the CYO. And uh, we played a little small, small things. You know, and, and as I said, it mushroomed from there until, um, you know, it, 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 it became a profession for me. You hinted that uh, you got involved with Sound Dimension. So, are we correct in saying you did become a member of Sound Dimension? And if um, Sound Dimension was just one, were there others? And if they were, could you mention which other bands you were involved with? All right, well, Sound Dimension, you would consider my first professional um, thing in music, which I actually got paid for. Because, as I had mentioned, you know, we're meeting up as, you know, friends. And but Phil, one day when I was at work, you know, after I, I left high school, I was home for quite a while, doing pretty much nothing. And then I eventually got a job, and um, nothing major, you know. And uh, one day Phil came by my workplace himself on a guitarist named Eric Freighter. They were both in a band called The Virtues. I used to, you know, go to the rehearsals and listen to them on occasion, go to some of the performances when they played at clubs. But they were both part of Sound Dimension. And they, they came by my workplace one day and said that, then not they, but there, there was need for a keyboard player to do a, a promotional island tour, promoting a new brand of cigarettes. This is in 1968, in the summer. And I said, okay, yeah, you know, I'll do that. Uh, so I went to my boss and I told him that I had an offer to go and do something for about two months. And he said, okay, you know, the job is here when you're done. So we went straight to, we actually went straight to Studio One on Brentford Road which is where they had the rehearsals. Now, this was promoting a cigarette, and Ken Booth was the featured performer for the band, which was then tied, uh, the, the name of the band, The Swinging Kings. The Swinging Kings was the band, uh, as I said, went straight to rehearsal to play, you know, primarily, you know, the hit songs of Ken Booth, you know, going around the island to promote this brand of cigarettes. And, um, I probably had two or three rehearsals and in no time we were going all around the island promoting um, a, the, the brand of cigarettes and the band was called the Swing Kings and the, the name of the cigarette was Embassy. Uh, so my, that was my introduction to Studio One just as a rehearsal facility and at the end of the two-month promotion, like we'd spend two weeks playing in Kingston, then the next two weeks we'd be, you know, like probably in the west or the north of the island, back two weeks in Kingston primarily, you know, because there are many more venues, a lot of plazas, occasional show, you know, with other groups. So at the end of the two months, you know, that was pretty much it. And then Mr. Cox and Dodd, who, you know, facilitated the rehearsals, decided that he was going to resume his recording. Um, um, he, he, of course, had, um, you know, the sound dimension and other that before that, he had the Scatterlight, Soul Brothers, 
old vendors and she seemed to have had a knock of naming his band starting with the letter S. And so it was sound dimension at the time of when Jackie Mitu, the, the, the musical director, migrated and Mr. Dad had closed down his um his production. So, you know, he he uh, decided that he was going to continue with this set of musicians, you know, who were already part of his um, studio band, Sound Dimension, and um, myself and Richard Ace became the keyboard players, you know, primarily before that, Jackie Mitu would have been the sole keyboard player, with, meaning like organ and piano, meaning the piano and, and organ. So I had to be sharing the duties now with Richard Ace to get out, you know, full of sound and, um, that's how my involvement with the Studio One band or Sound Dimension at Studio One Recording Studio uh, began. Okay, we have much more to discuss with you on Cool 97 FM. Our guest, Robert Robbie Lynn. We're going to go to our break right now. Once we're through, we'll be definitely heading back to engage you in more conversation as we find out a lot more about your illustrious career, because we are truly intrigued. So, our guest this morning is Robert Robbie Lynn. It's called Autumn Sounds. Jack Mitu did it originally, and it's done now here by our guest, Robbie Lynn. This song gives me goose pimples. Preach, Mike. No, and I'm telling you why, too. Winston Mary Tumbley was, this is one of his favorite songs. So when I hear it, I remember Winston, Jack Mitu, and all the way to Robbie Lynn. Excellent job on this one. All right. Uh, we'll have to play more for you. This is from his album, Making Notes. This is North Street. Need I ask why? <laughs> <laughs> you tell you why. You tell you why. You tell you 
Okay, so let's just get it over with. This song is called North Street. Why? <laughs> you want me to talk? Yes. Are talking to Mike? No, no. I want to hear it from you. I hear it from Mike all the time. All right. Well, okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, so you know. Yes. All right. It is no secret that I went to a school on North Street. St. John is called. Okay. Uh-huh. But a lot of my great musician friends and other friends went to the school on the other side. Kingston College. Oh. So there were some standout musicians from KSD that I decided to pay my personal tribute to when I was doing my album. So the organ in the song represents Jackie Metu, and the melody that you hear represents Augustus Pablo. So I combine both instruments as the lead instruments for this song, and I also combine two bass lines, one from a Jackie Mizu song and one from Augustus Pablo song. And I just, um, that's it, <laughs> I just created something, and you know, it, this North Street was the title appropriately. So there you go. It definitely worked. Boy, did it work. Okay, so uh, we're speaking with Robbie Lynn this morning, and we're going to get some more insights. Do you realize that? Okay, so uh, there are eras in music, and uh, so, for example, you might hear your parents say that in their day they went to see such and such, some big-name artist that the name has come forward in time. So they went to go see this artist, that artist, and it's like, whoa, you actually saw that person in, yeah. in the flesh? And you get all excited. Yeah. Now, you have over 50 years in the music business, and you are smack dab in a studio. You probably can't get any closer than that. In a studio recording with like a Jackie Me Too, and it's like, whoa. Because it, that's one of the persons that I wish I had actually seen right. in the flesh. And you have rubbed the shoulders, you've been on stage with them, you know them personally, each and every one of these big-name artists, but you have remained very humble in all of the accolades that have been showered on you, in all of the mastery of instruments, all the mastery that you've done in terms of works. And for that, we recognize you and we salute you because it hasn't that has not gone to your head you haven't lost the common touch you can still walk on the ground but when you listen to to like what mikey has done this morning where he's been playing your music since five o'clock yeah it hits home doesn't it it's like yeah unfortunately i wasn't up that early to hear Mm. some of the earlier selections i was uh, tuned in about 6.30 and heard the um, song, you know. So, um, you know, but it, 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 it spans a wide, you know, area of time and, and genres also. Well, let me make it simple for you. Well, the songs that they play from 5 o'clock to, to 5.30 were songs, um, some songs from the Making Notes album. Okay. Just to give you an idea that we were taking the songs from. Okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, we heard works where you've got, you've done... Um, sessions with Mali, you've done sessions with uh, Dennis Brown, Peter Tosh, all of these people, all yeah. of these people. But you know what occurred to us, and it, and it was something that we spoke of in studio before we came on for Live Tuesdays. 
a project you could consider, and it's something that we said uh, as well to Dean Fraser, and we're going to say it to you. For someone who has such a vast repertoire, you ever thought of putting together a compilation, or oh, this is definitely going to be more than one disc, where you perhaps do the first verse and the chorus of as many of these songs, because you probably can't remember some of them you've worked on, as many of these songs, and then you create a medley, a medley album, well, this is probably going to be four, five, six discs, <laughs> where you, because what you're in fact doing is chronicling it for, um, for us. You are schooling young people. You are leaving behind a, a nice uh, legacy where it is nicely documented and it's put together so it's not a guessing. Did he play on this or didn't he? We know for sure that you did. But that sounds like a project that you could do with ease. Well, I never, actually, I never actually gave it that type of consideration in terms of, you know, com doing a compilation of songs in a medley format. I, I honestly never did. But, you know, from time to time I reflect back on my career and I said, well, you know, if, you know I, I would, um, would be appreciative of, well, uh, yeah, a little bit of recognition when, when people really get to know the input that I had made for certain songs because, you know, to some people it matters, and to others, you know, I'm very curious. And um, and I have been involved with work with a lot of the younger musicians of late, and I find myself giving them a lot of information. Up to this week, I or was it last weekend, I was with working with some, some younger musicians and, you know, young engineers. And, you know, when certain topics come up about certain songs, even... Not necessarily what I was involved with, but um, I, you know, being somebody who had an interest in music and groups and being influenced by certain musicians and groups, you know, of course, I would have had some knowledge of some of these groups that you know have had contributed to global uh, music recognition. And sometimes I pass on the knowledge and the, the information about certain groups and things and, and you can see the, the reaction to the younger people you know because they, they were clueless about certain things they just hear the music and say okay nice song and you, did, you don't know how the song came about you don't know what the, the inspiration was so I, I do find myself involved with that sort of thing so I was thinking more along the lines of um, being not necessarily a mentor but some sort of um, a, a provider of information as also with what I have been doing over the years, you know, and um, because I say, you know, sometimes it's nice to be recognized and people know exactly what you did or what you were a part of, so, you know, but I never really got into the thing about being that compilation because that would have been a, a tough choice. Well, 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 yeah. well Robbie, what, what Ben Dan mentioned it to me, I said, what would be more in the form of like a medley, like Altonelli's um, 25th anniversary, when he did those, yes. a lot of his songs. The yeah, like Jubilee album. Yes, like a medley form of, of, of his, and he could yeah. really culture that started with, with the song and know what, what you're doing. Yeah, I, I quite understand yes. the fact that you said about six this, that's a, that's a lot of <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I know, so that might be a lot of I, but I, if I can... would probably need some, some assistance or, or some sort of... Um, you know, some, you know, other people involved, you know, because I, I would not necessarily remember everything that I did and, you know, you have things that stick out with other people who have their preferences, 
you know, as opposed to, you know, mine. But, um, you know, it, it's something to think about. It's more than something to think about. It's something to act on. <laughs> and I'm sure Cool 97FM will be also happy to help you with uh, the compilation. Because uh, the reality is, we're not known for reading liner notes on albums. I know that. I, I, yeah. I know that. I know that um, you know, the, the radio people, you know, they, you give them a CD, and the first thing they do is take the disc out of the, the, the packaging and put it in their folder or whatever you call it and, and disregard the, the liner notes with all the information. So I know that quite well. Well, it, it's, it's seriously worth backing and, and realize this is going to take some, a deep pocket in order to bring this whole yeah, project to fruition. Yes. Which is why Corporate Jamaica, I'm, I am beseeching you, this is going to be a project and a half that you must get on board with because if you have been listening to Cool 97 and you keep listening all the way up to 9 o'clock you're going to see the enormous contribution that Robbie Lynn has made to Jamaican music and I'm sure there are many other artists players of instruments who also deserve their recognition of course. Yeah. Robbie, Robbie, I'm going to play a song. and I'll Just a little bit, and you come back and address it right away. Because I, I, I want you to shout my little lady down. I wonder what this is Yes, tell her about this production. Tell us about that song that we just heard. Mm -hmm. Okay, all right. That song was recorded at Randy's Studio Donuts Parade. It was one of the biggest produced songs by Lee Scratchberry, Mary Soul Rest in Peace, before he started his Black Art Studio on the Washington Garden. This was one of his big, major hits. And um, I can gladly say it was done with musicians who were not necessarily just musicians that, that I had worked with, but talking about friends like brothers. You know, they were members of mostly, you know, mostly members of the No Generation band who I had done a lot of work with. And, um, you know, like the, the Chung brothers, Mikey and Jeffrey Val Douglas, who were also St. Georgians. And um, Wyatt Lindo, you know, great keyboard player who went on to be an integral part of the Bob Marley and the Wailers band. But it was a major hit. That, that's all I can say. I mean, it's so long ago, but 
you know, it is part of, you know, part of my, I wouldn't say legacy, it's just part of my, uh, my journey, you know, to be, to be working with certain producers and certain musicians. And of course, the singer was Junior Bass, you know, so, you know, he, he, he was, you know, at, at this time, you know, one of the top singers in Jamaica. Now, I just have a fascination, I'm, I, I have declared it many times, a fascination with Lee Scratchberry. Yes. What was it like working with him? Lee Scratchberry was one of the most unorthodox producers, and he also engineered his, his recording session because he had built his studio at the, you know, the back part of his, his home. You know, it, it was built from scratch, so to speak, as a studio. And his equipment and the effects that he used were part of his sound. But he was very unorthodox, and um, his ideas and, you know, the artists that he had worked with, you know, his, his lyrics. And because, because Scratch Perry wasn't just a producer, he was also a mentor for even Bob Marley. A lot of Bob Marley's songs were produced by, by Scratch Perry and co-authored also and there are certain things that if I hear a particular Bob Marley song and hear him sing a certain phrase I can identify that with directions or influence from Lee Scratch Perry you know but he, he was he was he was totally different he had a different approach sometimes you would have a, a recording session going going on with three keyboard players, two guitars, and and um, you know people playing hand drums, which was unusual. Normally, you know you will have certain instruments being recorded, and then the other on the others with, with multi-track tape recording. But he 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 had a vibe, and he just went for his own. Sometimes you tell the drummer to play what the bassman would be playing. You know, sometimes he just came up with those you know those those sort of little ideas. He was always looking for something different. That kind of innovation. So since yeah. you've already started telling us about and giving us inkling into a studio session, speak further. What does this involve, certainly from your perspective? Okay, well, it has changed now because the, the technology regarding recording of, of music now is more, um, what you'd say, technically advanced. When I had started recording in the 60s at Studio One, we were using what you'd, be, what you'd call reel-to-reel -reel tapes, you know, magnetic, magnetic tapes. And if you had recorded something, it, and, you know, like all the instruments would sometimes be grouped up on one track, and if one person made a mistake, the whole track would, 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 would have that sound. You know, to, as it is now today, if everybody's on their own track, you know, so you can remove a bass, you can change you can change the keyboards, you can put on you add you, you can limitlessly add on instruments you know, until you get the product that you're looking for. But in the early days you had to pretty much um compile everything into one record and just hope for the best and you know, I was sympathetic towards horn players because if one person made a mistake and the horn, the horn people were cha challenged with you know having to be perfect when they were playing and if one person slipped up it would affect everybody so you know that is the main difference the, 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 the compatibility with the technology you now has um, really evolved 
you know, we would have to do all of the instruments pretty much at the same time. Now you can do one person at a time. And okay. I must admit, that's, that's one of the things I enjoy about listening to some of the older recordings. Right. When you can detect that somebody made an error. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it just seems so quaint. There are quite a few, and um, <laughs> I, I recall sometimes that a horn player would say he's not doing any more. You know, you, 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 you make a mistake or somebody makes a mistake and the whole band has to stop. And those guys who blow in horns, trumpets, you know, it's a lot of pressure on their, their windpipes and their, their lips, you know, have to endure a certain amount of pressure. And there, there have been occasions that they say, well, whatever happens now, it has to stay. You know, we're not going to stop anymore. So you, you will find a few errors and a little bit of um, misplaced notes from time to time. It really is quaint. Eh? So okay, for those who might not be in the know, the next time you're listening to some ska or rock steady, listen out for a little note here and there. It might seem yeah, a yeah. little off. That's right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So now, we're going to be speaking with you about which space you enjoy more, stage or studio. Oh, crikey, it's time for my cool flight pack. All right, bear that in mind. That's what we're coming back to speak with you about in a short while. I do have to take my flights, all right? More music coming your way now from Robbie Lynn and his catalog.
in a black. They must sprinkle this and that. Ready as a woman come to check me mother. Little after that she can't talk out to her. Me have to say lady left and come out. Yeah. I could have feel, I feel it all over like the devil picking Move like this, but this so unwise. Ooh, ooh, you stand 
And I know, as I've been hearing, these songs are reeling off. And Mikey, and now P. Diddy has joined us, and Yashika. I can tell you, all of us in here are just grinning, you know, like Shashara cats, or as we want to say in Jamaica, please post. Because we just are totally floored that someone we know could possibly have an association with all of these hits and it is just mind blowing we're just so pleased with a career that is so illustrious it is fantastic stuff from five o'clock this morning mikey has been playing music that robbie lynn has been associated with in one shape or another now as we're finding ourselves grinning from ear to ear Relate for us a memory that you could possibly conjure up through all of these years in music that still puts a smile on your face today. Well, <laughs> that's what caught me off guard because sometimes I don't really think about things that I because um, you know of course there are going to be things but I I I, I wish I'd give that little time to kind of reflect. But um, you know, it's so many memories. But I'm trying to think of one in particular. When was your first tour? The first tour? Mm-hmm. Where did you go? Okay, the very first time I went on a tour, I went around the Caribbean Islands. And um, it was not necessarily the best organized tour, but I was 17 years old, just started at Studio One, and there was a need for, for some um, Jamaican artists to be doing shows in um, Guyana, Trinidad, um, Barbados. Um, some of the musicians were from Sound Dimension, and, um, you know, we're backing up Ken Booth, Hortense, Ellis, I think, um, Prince Buster. It was like a, a, a two-week two, two, two tour, but, you know, it, it was, uh, you know, well-organized, and we had some issues, but we did do some shows, but that was pretty much my introduction to what life on the road can be. You know, there are some, some issues with the promoters, you know, and, you know, a musician, um, the drummer disappeared. <laughs> <laughs> when we got to Trinidad, uh, we couldn't find the drummer anymore. And it's not somebody who I had a lot of association with anyhow, but he, he was a replacement for the person who, who, who would normally have been in that group. And, um... You know, so he, he just took off. He left. He got. He went to Trinidad, and we never saw him again. Whoa! So, so the manager, the manager of the, the tour, who happened to be um, uh, Len, Denzel Langston, what he uh, oh my, the name, the name. See, he was on radio too. Um, passed away some years ago. He, he, he had to keep time on the drums for like the last two remaining shows. So, you know, you know, other issues, but that was the first, you know, to answer your question. All right. Memorable indeed. Huh? <laughs> yeah, you, you Most memorable indeed. <laughs> We're going to keep asking your questions till somehow, hopefully, we lead you in the direction of which was uh, the memory that has brought a smile to your face to this day. Well, well, well let me say, Baltimore. We played Baltimore. You that played, is, played yeah. in Baltimore or played the song Baltimore? No, just level with me. Which is it? You played on the song Baltimore? Yes. Uh, <laughs> I think that's why Mikey played it. Because mm-hmm. I, said, I think he's played stuff that I actually <laughs> um, played on. Mm. Yeah, the, the Baltimore, um, Mikey kind of know why he asked me that question. That <laughs> was done at Channel One. That was one of Stan Robbie's first productions when they had become producers as as a taxi, you know, con- um, 
taxi records. So we laid a track with the lead singer for that song, um, Junior, Junior Moore. And as is the case, after you lay a track, um, the, the engineer will play it back for you to listen and assess and, you know, say, you know, if everything is okay. And having idle hands, normally when you're listening back to, you know, a track being played, you know, you start to play again, just feeling around, and I was just um, idling with the piano, idling again, <laughs> and I played something, and Sly heard it, and said, Robbie, what that? Play that again, and I, and I played, oh, go, do, go, do, go, do. And said, no, man, that I forgot on the track. And I'm just, he just told the engineer, I think it was Ernest who came, and he said, Ernest, give Robbie another track. <laughs> so, that, so that was part part of the arrangement for the song, but um, it, it's significant because I think that, 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 that's a signature part of the song. You know, there are some other great things happening in the song, the horn arrangement by Clive Hunt on the Wicked bass line with Robbie, and of course Sly solid with the drums as usual, but I think the piano kind of gave it a little dimension. So, you know, it's something that I kind of cherish, you know, having been part of that. It was a mega hit, of course, needless to say. And, uh, Let's just go back to it and refresh our memories because listen, this, this, <laughs> you know, if you say it is unimportant and uh, and it's significant, they, we have to listen. We're being schooled this morning by you. We need to go back, refresh our memories, okay. get the ears to listen. Okay. All right. It's cool to finish the whole thing. Well, it's really, really, really. Listen, that is a that is a classic. You, you can't have a party and don't drop it's it. It's the best version right. of Boston because, ever. Because that part, that part of the piano was not done originally when we laid the track. You know, you know I could have played it to my left hand while, while we're doing the rhythm, but. As I said, I was just kind of tinkering around and it, and it fit. So, it was added on. Mm. Mm. We touched also Fred McGregor's big one day, Just Don't Want to Be Lonely. What's the history with that, sir? All right. Um, that, was, that was produced by um, Jermaine, recorded at um, Tough Gong Recording Studios. And at that time, I had started doing some drum programming. You know, there were trendsetters and, you know, like... Um, and the others, you know, Cleve, who were, you know, the, the, the noted drum programmers. But, you know, I, I had started to do some drum programming. So I would occasionally be called by, by producers to do all the instruments on a particular song, which would mean use electronic keyboards, which, which are synthesizers to play bass on just about any other song. So it turned out that you know, that's the song for the day with Freddie. So, you know, we'll run down the song, got the chords together, you know, um, got 
basically they got the key, you know, appropriately. So I just put in a program what was pretty much the, the standard um, drum program for, the, for that time. Nothing complicated, it just keeps looping, but I had um, added in a few little fills. And the rest of the song was um, pretty much just keyboards, you know, no guitars, no other thing, just Dean Fraser who then added on the, the saxophone lead part. So all the instruments, rhythmic wise, would have been done by myself, you know, programming of drums and electronics, piano, organ, strings, and bass. Mm -hmm. And the iconic song, What yeah. One Dance Can Do. And of course, that song made the British shots, I think, top ten at least, you know, probably top five. I don't quite remember. And if you're just joining us, welcome to another edition of Live Tuesdays. We're talking with the Jamaican musician Robbie Lynn, keyboard player, arranger, songwriter, producer. He takes us into the spaces between the words this morning to where the music resides. Now, more in terms of contributions from Robbie Lynn on Cool 97 FM.
Robin Lynn is back with us this morning. You've been hearing some of those hits he contributed to in his over five-decade-long career, and we're getting into some more of the highlights from those years. Now, Peter Tosh. Peter Tosh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, you said this song? Oh, Christy. No, Mikey, I can take it from the top again. You know what this song does for me. People moments for that. Mm-hmm. 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 <laughs> Courtesy of Robbie Lee.
This must have a history, Robin. Please, enlighten us, please. Yes, tell yes, us about sir. this song. Yes. And the man himself as well. Yeah, uh, this, this, this arrangement was, I guess, both influenced by Robin Shakespeare because when he came to the studio, when we recorded the album, that this uh, song came, I don't remember which album it was. But you, you can't figure it out, Mikey. Um, Mystic Man, Mystic Man. Mystic Man, okay. Well, you know, that was a studio album done mostly at Dynamic Studio. And Robbie just came that day and said, boy, I want to play a song that style. You know, so I love Peter sing about reggae music. You know, Robbie just said, boy, so we're going to do this song. It's different, and this is what we're going to do. And it, it was one of Peter's biggest, um, even, even not just, you know, Peter was more noticed for his lyrical content and his, and his uh, you know, his, out, his, um, his, his views on a lot of subject matter. But this became one of the most popular dance songs. You know, for the for the club scene and bands, every band was covering it as far as I know. You know, when when I knew that a, a, a certain band had a certain reputation was playing the song, I said, boy, this song has really impacted. But Robbie just said, boy, it's him under the tune. And, the, you know, that, that, that is how it ended up sounding with this vibe because I don't think Peter ever did any other song with that type of um, you know, rhythm, rhythm arrangement. No, really? Okay, now... What, 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 what was Peter like to work with that way? Yes. Um, studio, he was very liberal, you know, for the time, the years that I recorded with him. I did about four studio albums with Peter, going back to Bush, Dr. Mystic Man, Wanted, and um, Mama Africa. He allowed the musicians to do what they wanted. You know, he did not come with an upper hand and say, this is what I want. He might just come with his guitar and play the cards, have some ideas, and then the musicians just basically took over. So he was very, very easy to work with, you know, in, in terms of, you know, recording his, his songs. Um, on, on, on the road, you know, he was misunderstood. Peter, Peter was um, kind of looked on as this um, braggadocious, um, loud-mouthed person. But he had his moments, of course, because that's just part of his image. And, um, you know, when we were on tour and he, we, we got to certain cities that had a you know, heavy Jamaican diaspora, he would love to entertain, you know, the crowds that came to the concert after the show. And, you know, he, he, he literally was doing another show, you know, by just talking with people. But apart from that, he, he, he was oftentimes very, very quiet and focused on, on, on that sort of thing. And, you know, he, he had a, 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 a kind of um, misunderstood personality for a lot of people. You know, he, he was humbling a lot of ways, and yes, he was very outspoken and, you know, um, demonstrative in other ways. All right. Well, we can understand that kind of personality. Yeah. <laughs> Peter Tosh, Concerts. 
give us a sense now of some international acts because we haven't touched on that. Some of the international acts you've worked with. Um, well, in terms of studio, I had an occasion to work with um, Sting in 1998. I remember quite well because it was while the World Cup that Jamaica had gotten into in France was happening. Um, he came to Jamaica to, to record one song, which was a part of a project of um, certain uh, uh, British artists recording over Elton John's written compos um, compositions for a particular project. Um, he was one I had also worked with Cindy Lauper. She came to Jamaica to remake one of her previous hit songs. Um, Michael Franti, more of late in terms of um, internationally, you know, he had a song say, hey, what are you doing to the other man? Hey, mama, or something like that. Another big hit. Uh, Manya de Bango, he was popular for the uh, Makosa song. But he came to do a reggae Makosa, so I, you know, he did a, an album here produced by Jeffrey Chung. And, um, you know, unfortunately, he passed last year, you know, contracted the COVID. So those, those are some of the, the, the most out, um, outstanding, you know, well, that would probably be known to, to Jamaicans, you know. Then there was one French artist by the name of Serge Gainsbourg, who probably means very little to the Jamaican audience, but he was very influential to his French market and European market, and he came to Jamaica to record an album, which was one of the biggest um, reggae albums over Europe for that time. That would be late 70s, I guess, early 80s. Robbie, sorry, yeah. one second. Did you work with J Grace Jones by any chance? I only did a live performance with her when she came to do the reggae session at Port Royal, which included other top Jamaican artists, Ziggy Marley, Toots, who I also played with. But we never even rehearsed with, with, with um, Grace. It was Sly Robin, myself, and Cap Core. And she came and did my Jamaican guy. No rehearsal. She came straight from the airport. And that was a successful, um, what you could call a music documentary done by Cinemax, you know, back then. But um, that's, that was my only actual involvement with her, you know, musically. We have to touch on the One Love Peace concert. Couldn't uh, conclude this uh, interview without. What did it mean to you to work on that concert? And... Uh, how central has that been to, say, your career, when you position that among all the things you've done? Uh, the whole idea of the peace concert and what it would have meant, Jamaica was in tumultuous times, and um, people are trying to come up with solutions, how to minimize the, what was happening in terms of gang warfare and a lot of, um, you know, killings, that sort of thing. You know, you had, you had certain people were aligned and um, I, I don't want to get into the politics but it is well known in Jamaica that you have people on, you know, on, on with different opposing views and um, they, 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 they came together pretty much the, the people said well we need to kind of kind of control this thing so the, this peace concert was because you know music is something that um, a lot of people use for, for healing purposes of one time or you know, in like heal the world, you know, and, and that sort of thing. You bring people together to, to, for a cause, you know, whether to get money to help 
hunger in, in Africa. So the peace concert was mo mostly about the, the crime situation in Jamaica. And we, we thought that having all of the top Jamaican artists being part of it, it meant a lot to the Jamaican future and where we were going as a country and as society. And everybody was very, very anticipatory of, of that concert because it brought together, the, you know, the best and, you know, everybody looked forward to that. All of the musicians, high anticipation. And having been part of Peter Tosh's band at the time, he was an element at the time that he was very, very controversial. And, you know, he was getting a lot of attention for, for, for his opinion. So a lot of people came to that concert out of curiosity, apart from the music, you know, we had all of the top bands, you know, surf, you name it, they're all there. But some people I know came to see what type of performance or what Peter was going to say. And, you know, it was a momentous situation. But for me, I, I, I really was drawn into the whole thing and the camaraderie with all the musicians and the purpose, you know, it had political leaders, everybody there and every, it, 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 it was it's a part of our history you know probably for the wrong reasons but you know it meant a lot to, to a lot after so many years what gets you excited about music today um well <laughs> it is it is a thing now that people are trying to create you know new ideas and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't work. But and having been coming from what you call old school, I am kind of locked into a particular style or a particular genre. And you know, from time to time, I am called to associate myself with with different um, styles. But for me, it's pretty much the same, you know. A lot has not changed for me and what I've been doing or what I've been asked to do. But I have an interest, even from afar, of some of the young ideas, the young young entertainers, producers, songwriters. You know, they, are, they have some very interesting um, perspectives on the whole music thing. You know, sometimes people get a little bit too experimental and it, it kind of goes a little bit, you know, beyond that. Uh, my taste. And what has been central to your enduring career? What do you pinpoint? What can you pinpoint as being the the go-to you always go back to? Let's call it the center yeah. for you. All right. Well, being grounded, first of all, you know, you, you, you don't get um, too caught up in a lot of hype and um, a lot of distractions. I try to stick to what I know best, and it may not be the, the I may not, may not be the person desired for certain producers or, or you know or, or certain types of um, production. But at the end of the day, it all comes back to the root. And I have been asked to play on recording sessions of you know, overseas artists and producers who are trying to recapture 
thing that I had done 20, 30, even 40 years before, they want, that's what they want. That's what they identify with. So it is not unusual for me to be called, you know, in my, what you can say, late days of my career, which is over 50 years as a studio musician now, that I have been called to contribute to what people are searching deeply for, you know, to, to say that, you know, the, the, the whole aura of, of reggae music, you know, is what they want. You know, they want the original type of stuff. That, that, that is what they search for. So I've been able to stay in my lane and, you know, contribute, you know, things that I had already done in terms of uh, my musical expression. And of course, I have to fit in with what is happening now, you know, because you don't want to be totally just dependent on a certain type of thing. And um, of late, I've been working with a lot of younger musicians. You know, I learn things from them, and I'm sure that they learn things from me. And what are you looking forward to now? What would be your advice to emerging artists and musicians as well? And so, you, what are you looking forward to now? What is your advice to the emerging artists, musicians? And finally, what do you want to be remembered for? Yeah, that's an often-asked question. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, um, but the whole thing is, is, is being you know, focused on what you really want out of the music. You know, some, some people are forced into music because that's the only thing they can do. But, if, but I know a lot of the young aspiring musicians, they really have an aim. Maybe they're, they're looking for lower in terms of um, material things and they think that music is, is, a, is a way to get there but it takes a lot of dedication it takes a lot of luck it takes a lot of timing because you know you might be writing a song that is not appropriate for that time you know or, or an occasion that um, you know some people are very topical and they are influenced and, and uh, about what, what is happening at the moment. You have people who write songs that way. And you have people who write songs from their heart. They, they write songs from their experiences, whether they're you know, in a, a relationship or, or that sort of thing. But the main thing for the young people is to be respectful of the people that you work with. And, um, you know, you know, timing, you know, being on time is also an issue that we used to have prevalently in years gone by. It is not that bad now, but, you know, we had situations that one person could hold up an entire recording session because they were late or they just, you know, just chose to, they just decided to come at a particular time. But the whole thing is being humble also, but not totally humble because you have to be kind of forceful and how to promote yourself, you know, make yourself visible to, to you know, pro, you know, producers. Because if, if you just kind of stay in the background, you know, people will be called in, in front of you. So um, the main thing is, is is to be respectful, be punctual, practice, of course, you know, and that's pretty much it for me. And in 30 seconds, let's see, how would you want to be remembered? Um, I would want to be remembered as somebody who was reliable. Pretty much that's it. See, there you go. Robbie Lynn there for you. What a story.
We've been listening to his music, his musical contribution, journeying with him as he reflects on a vast career. By no means his full catalogue has been covered this morning. One of uh, the most respected musicians in, in Jamaica. We listened to songs from his award-winning album, Making Notes. His career has certainly given us much to take note of and uh, for us to reflect on. We say thank you for your contribution to this morning's edition of Live Tuesdays, Robbie Lynn, and more importantly, to the world's musical legacy. Thank you for joining us for another Live Tuesday here on Cool 97 FM. Thanks to the production team, Michael Mikey T. Thompson, our show director and disc jock, Paul Dennis, our broadcast engineer, Noren Price for the graphics and social media input, and Yashika Graham, our live wire producer. <laughs> Sing a 